she introduced us. We're live okay. now. We're live now, but let me get the the uh, video. Our intro video going. Because, you know, we never have it going right on time. In a world of divisiveness, we bring you diversity. In a world of hate, we bring you love. In a world of fear, we inspire you to live. And now, laughing, loving, and alive with your hosts, Rain Thomas, Elmer J. Howard, and Dr. Kevin. Hello, 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 and welcome to our 9-11 special Laughing, Loving, and Alive. Tonight, I am representing David Reed Gamboa. And Elmer is repre representing Bernard Curtis Brown. And Rain is representing Asia S. Cotton. Cotton. And I wanted to start this week's show, which this with this week's podcast, very differently, um, because this is about dealing with trauma, and obviously this is 9/11, which is the 21st anniversary of the Twin Towers. And one of the things I did was that I went to look at some of the names. And that's why I said that instead of us coming up with our cutesy little names, as we usually do, pretending to be anybody else but us, that I decided I would pay tribute to three people who lost their lives on 9-11. David Reed Gamboa Rondhurst loved Legos. He loved his cousins and attending his weekly swim class. He was age three. And he was uh, on the plane with his two fathers, Daniel Branhort and Robert Gamboa. Again, he was three. Bernard Curtis Brown, he was 11. He was a fan of basketball in school. And unlike many 11-year-olds, Bernard Curtin Brown, he boarded, uh, he bound out of the house every school day. He lived to go to school. Even when he was sick, he would say he was okay just so he could go to school. He was attending a basketball uh, tournament somewhere. And then there's Asia S. Cotton. She had just moved into a new school. She was really in, and she had been chosen to participate in a National Geographic society ecology conference and though she had just started a new school she had become very quickly popular and well liked and was on that plane with her teachers and when they went afterwards when they asked uh they said to her classmates we're missing someone today do you know who that is and they said yes and some of the children even said asia and the students talked about how much they would miss her. These are just three of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who lost their lives that day, from janitors and firefighters to civil engineers to pastry makers and vice presidents of uh, firms and flight attendants. They all lost that, that life that day because somebody in some other part of the world decided we were not praying at the altar of the right God. They had their own God that they prayed to. They had their own way. And I know that Asia is giving me that. We don't talk about religion on this show, but look, but that is what the truth of it is. It was a fight between gods. And as always happens in a fight between gods, the real losers are man. So I'm not getting into religion. And tonight's show is about trauma. But out of respect to any one of these names, and I, I specifically chose 
some of the youngest who went, who would be in their 30s today, changing the world out there, probably maybe having children of their own, making some difference in some way that will be lost forever, for they are no longer here to make that difference, whether they were three or 11. Welcome to the trauma edition of Laughing, Loving, and Alive here on September 11th, 2022. I'd like to now ask, um, my two co-hosts, and then I will answer the same question. Where were you on that day? And what, if any, trauma did it bring into your life? Rain, would you like to kick us off? All right. Well, I was in Richmond, Virginia, in my house, sound asleep. And my best friend who still lives in New York she called me and she's like, oh my God, did you see it? I'm like, did I see what? She's like, did you see it on television? I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm sound asleep. And she's like, just turn on the television. And so I turned television, I saw it, but the part that was, I mean, all of it's traumatizing, but um, from 10th grade to 12th grade, every summer I worked in the World Trade Center for Dow Jones. That was my summer job. And I remember, you know, as a teenager, I would put my forehead to the window because I was facing the Statue of Liberty. And I always thought, wow, you know, you can't see all the way down to the ground. You can only see out. And I remember thinking so many times, nothing in the world could make me jump out of this window. And that was the first thing that came to mind when I turned on television and I saw people jumping. And I, I, I couldn't imagine what could be so horrific that you would jump out of that window. Because I can remember, I mean, you know, you're a teenager and you're supposed to be working, but, you know, you stand at the window wondering what everybody else in the world is doing. That's, I, I just couldn't even imagine. Like, it made me sick to my stomach. Elmer. Do you remember where you were and what if any trauma you you took away with you out of 9-11? Well, uh, I was actually in my own bit of trauma, so I'm not going to go into where I was at the time other than to say, so there wasn't much of an impact on me personally other than the fact that I would remember being in Maine, just looking up at the skies and not seeing any airplanes shortly after. Uh, That was the oddest thing for me, just like always seeing... um, planes in the sky and so not not being able to see those um was the only real impact it had on me because of i was like i said i was in the middle of my own deep trauma when 9 11 happened i was in philadelphia and i was just traveling back but the 9 11 trauma actually started two days earlier when i was traveling down to um Virginia. And my partner and I at the time were stopping up to pick up friends of his. And we're going down to the Lost Colony uh, annual event because my former partner was had performed at Lost Colony for several years. And a lot of the people would get together and go back at the closing show in on Labor Day. And uh, you know, get together. And we had stopped by, we had driven down. Uh, we were living in Maine. We drove down, we drove to Philadelphia. We picked up this other friend of his who had been part of the show and his boyfriend, and we had driven down. But driving down um, in Philadelphia, I was in Philadelphia when this happened. Um, I, it was the middle of the night and this was, two days, two, three days before 9-11. And I was, my partner woke up and found me rolling on the bathroom floor and I couldn't get cool and I was burning up and I was crying and I just kept on saying, so many dying, so many dying. And I 
couldn't tell him why. I couldn't tell him what my nightmare was. I couldn't tell him what. I just knew that I was burning up and I was rolling on the floor. It was a tile floor and it was cold and it was cool, coolish. And I was rolling on it to try to cool down. And I was talking about all the people that were dying. And then a few days, a couple of days later, we were coming back up and I woke up in that morning uh, at in that same apartment and watching the what was unfolding at 9-11 going on. And I don't know what was decided. I don't know what choices were made, but it was like to me in that moment that I had that dream vision, which must have been of 9-11. I said a few other things. I don't even remember all of them now, but they all made sense right after when it actually happened. Um, you know, it was, it was as if something that was put it in place, like up to that point, there was a free will choice that could have stopped it. And at that point, that free will choice had been made and it was now inevitable. The other thing that most stands out to me is the amount of clients and work that I did when I got back from all the people that were traumatized, all my clients that were traumatized, people that were reaching out to me, looking for lesson, looking for like, what was the lesson? What was the meaning? What was going on? But one in particular was this parent who brought their child to me because they weren't sure what to do with their child because the morning of 9-11, their child had jumped out of their room and in their PJs had gone out in the, out the front door and was running up and down the street and was hysterical because of all of the people that he could see dying and they couldn't calm him down. And he wasn't, he was about the same age as Asia Cottenham and David, David, I'm mean, sorry, Bernard Curtis Brown, my apologies. But he was around that age and he was having flashes of it as it was happening, even though he didn't know what was happening. His mother didn't know until she turned on the TV, but he had checked into it. And there I know that right afterwards, there were many of us who did spiritual work that were doing work to literally energetically go down and try to help some of the people that were crossing, that, were, that wouldn't cross, that were literally traumatized as spirits. And didn't, didn't even, some of them didn't even know they were dead. It happened so fast. So these were some of the most poignant memories that I had out of 9-11. And so tonight's show, we want to talk about like trauma and what do you do with trauma and about trauma and how do you let trauma evolve through you to be a better you and to live a better life? instead of having it stop you from becoming you and holding you back, stuck in a moment in time. I'm sure that the parents of these kids or the relatives, because in the case of Daniel Reed, David Reed, um, his, both his fathers were with him, but they had family that I'm sure today was remembering those two men and that little boy but all of their lives went on and that's the thing about trauma the life always goes on but it doesn't mean that the person that experiences the trauma goes on with that life that life sometimes goes on without them and one of the things i want to share and then i want to open it up to both rain and Elmer uh, about how they have dealt with traumas in their life is that the trauma never doesn't 
define you on some level. It, it is part of what makes us who it is, uh, who we are as we move forward. But whatever the trauma was and whatever happened, living in it and not moving beyond it, not discovering how to take it and expand into more of who you are capable of being, because that's what trauma does. Trauma expands us. Trauma makes us realize that we can survive more than we ever thought we could, or that we can do more than we ever thought we could. It shows us sometimes a better self that we didn't even know existed within us. If we can separate enough from the trauma after the trauma to look back, to think, how did I know what to do? How did I know what to say? Or how did I take that action? Or how did I keep going? Well, you keep going because life keeps going. But if you freeze in that trauma, then whether it's a trauma that was perpetrated on you, it means you have given your power to that perpetrator. They still hold part of you every day and victimize you over and over and over again. They are like puppet masters pulling your strings keeping you stuck and from moving forward. If it is the loss of a loved one, an unexpected event, then if this loved one loved you, the last thing they wanted you to do was have your life die with theirs. It doesn't bring them back. It doesn't do anything for them. And in fact, my experience in talking to to people through mediumship and that are on the other side. Sometimes they're sad, sometimes they grieve, sometimes they're really even angry at the person who stopped living because they died. It's like, I didn't want you to stop living. It doesn't bring me back. Live for me. Live twice as much life because I'm gone. Keep me alive in your ideas and your thoughts and your concepts and how you live your life. Don't stop. Keep going. So I'm sure I've talked through all my allotted time for the night. Uh <laughs> no. No, this is, you know, we have people asking questions already, but stuff that you covered, I think. Yep. And I'm happy to take any kind of questions anybody has of any kind. But I'd like to see if either one or both of you are willing to share either as specifically or not specifically as possible. I'm not trying to invade anyone's privacy. Um, if I want to do that, I just use my psychic. No, only kidding. Uh <laughs> You'd be so messed up, you wouldn't even know what to do with yourself. Let me see. I'm going to dive into Rain's mind. Let me get out quick. Oh, there we go. I'm better now. You won't be able to get out. Trust me. Once you get in there, you're going down the rabbit hole with me. <laughs> you, me, and Alice. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, I would like, uh, so if either one or both of you would like, if you can share a, a trauma where in retrospect, you saw how it actually made you more of who you are today in positive ways. I would love to share those things because I think for people stuck in trauma and any of our viewers that may be stuck in some kind of trauma, to hear people that went through and became more because of it can inspire and motivate and give them hope. So do so either one of you're, you're up. Anything you'd like to share? Uh, yep. Uh, so back actually when I talk about 9-11 and going through my trauma at the time and all the trauma that I've been through in my life, what I had learned up to after going through that was to bottle up my emotions, to not deal with the trauma, to compartmentalize it, shut it aside. And I remember this is before I met Dr. Kevin, I was sitting in a parking lot with uh, the person I was dating, Jason at the time. And he was crying. I looked over at him and I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, you have no emotions. He's like, you are just 
there. Like there's nothing, no, 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 you know, nothing either way. Like I don't react. I didn't react and I couldn't, it was my, my safety, my security of not having feelings because feelings end up could, could end up in, in some circumstances that I was in could end up killing me. So I had to, you know, shut him down. And it wasn't until I met actually Dr. Kevin through Jason um, that I started to learn. And, you know, I, I always describe it as at one point, Dr. Kevin, when we, before we did the Weichi, um system of natural healing, um, basically what do you, he didn't put it this way. I don't think, but this is just what in my mind was, is like, you know, here you go, Neo, here's the red pill and the blue pill. And it's never going to be the same. <laughs> you know, you can either stay the same or you can take this, but you can never go back. And it says times that I do think back of like, oh, maybe I should have taken the other pill. You know, I mean, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to be feeling and dealing with all this stuff. But so, you know, through Dr. Kevin and everything he's talked about in the show, but and everything else that he teaches through his and helps people with the counseling and coaching and stuff and just learning how to how to deal with it, you know, bring it up, work through it, figure it out um, and not let it like he said, not let it sit there, you know, whether you put it in, you know, behind you and you don't actually ever deal with it or sit in there and let it define who you are. Um, you know, those neither one of those are healthy choices to move forward from any trauma. Rain. Yes. So anything that you would like to share? Well, I come from a background where trauma is what you do daily. People wallowed in it. They enjoy it. So when you come from that background, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it defines you because like you, Elmer, you get to where I had no emotion. And, you know, people who were close to me, and that was only a couple of people, especially in high school, they would say the same thing. The only emotion you have is laughter because that's the only one I knew I could use without having to like strangle somebody to death or, you know, worse. Um, to me, there was nothing to deal with because you're in it all the time. It's just like people who come from wonderful backgrounds and they've never dealt with trauma and then something happens and they're paralyzed. It's the complete opposite for me. So over the years, um, Laughter got replaced with anger, and then everything makes you really angry. So you you know that's not a good way to deal with trauma either. Um, it's been a long journey. I mean, that journey is still going on. Learning how to compartmentalize what is considered traumatic to me. You know, I, over I've dealt with death since I was a kid to the point where it's traumatizing, but it doesn't paralyze me because, you know, it's like, well, what do you expect? That's what's going to happen. The things that are traumatizing to other people, I, I just don't feel it that way. I mean, I've had some traumatizing things that made, I think they've made me numb over the years, you know, and I get through them. I try not to think about them again. And like, I got through it. I never want this to happen to me or anybody else. And I'm an open book. I don't have a problem with going out and talking about it to other people. I'm like, this is what happened when XYZ wasn't in place. And it was traumatizing. And I don't use the word traumatizing often. But when I do, it is something that I feel like I was, I was going to check out. Like there, there wasn't much left at that point. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And there's light in the tunnel if you can get support. Um, talk to other people who understand, as Dr. Kevin was saying, that you can move past trauma. And like, you know, Elmer and myself just digesting it until you just become a shell of yourself because that's the only way you can cope. That's not healthy. And then becoming like a, a raging lunatic you know, now you're angry with the world because you've kept it inside for so long or depression or whatever way you're dealing with. Those aren't healthy. So you definitely need to find someone who can understand what it is that you're dealing with. Because trauma, the feeling of trauma and Dr. Kevin, I think you may agree with this. The feeling of trauma is different to everyone. What may be traumatic to 
Elmer may not have an effect on me or you or vice versa. So sometimes when someone says, oh, I just went through a traumatic thing and you're thinking, what the heck are they talking about? It's nothing. That's their trauma. I mean, that's where they're coming from. And I may not be the right person to help you in that situation. You may have to find someone else to help you in that situation, but you can move forward. Painful, help, support, you know, whatever you got to do. Life, if you are blessed enough, will continue to go on. The definition of trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. That's the dictionary definition from Oxford. A deeply distressing or disturbing experience. And I think that the key here that people have to recognize is it is whatever happened how deeply did it affect you? How distressing was it? How disturbing was it? Like, did it shake? I mean, you know, as, as many of our viewer listeners know, and I know you guys know, but I'm going to repeat it. You know, I've been doing what I do full time for going on to 33 years in January. And I... I have sat with the client who survived horrendous cult abuse, like the stories that they wouldn't even print because they'd say no one would believe them, and yet they were true. And the the, the adults who survived the, the sexual abuse and the horrible things that happened, and that was traumatizing to the person that was traumatized by the fact that they were that they were basically told they would never live up to their sibling. And that was traumatizing to that person. That because it hit them deeply, that because they would never be. And sometimes you think about it as an intellectual adult and you go, well, it's kind of sort of stupid. You know, like as an adult, you go, well, that's, you know, basically they said that, you know, you would never be... I mean, I remember uh, a, a client once who was really traumatized by having their mother say to them, well, you can never be my little girl because you're a boy. <laughs> but to that person, it was traumatizing. Right. And so, you know, as we go on into these things, if you want to heal past trauma and let trauma heal you, and I said that correctly. If you want to let trauma heal you, there are steps to get there. There are ways that trauma can actually heal us because heal simply means to make whole. And trauma can expand us into a greater self, a greater way of being. It can, it can upgrade who we are allow ourselves to be in a lifetime. And is it the way of choice? Does anybody say, hey, send me a couple of traumas. I'm feeling like I want a growth experience. Yeah, not so much. That doesn't stop it from being a reality if that's what we can do with trauma. But we have to decide what was distressing, what was deeply distressing to us. Why was it so disturbing? What is it? Some people find any and every death of a loved one as traumatizing, mm -hmm. but that's because they are afraid of death. They've got maybe abandonment issues. They don't have any kind of relationship that makes them feel like, well, the soul goes on. Like, you know, some people think like, I, as I do, that we have past lives, which means we have future lives. Other people feel like there's a kingdom, but I can tell when somebody is traumatized by a death that they actually don't have something that they truly know to be true around death because we can feel the loss and the sadness, especially when it's a child. I mean, I chose children for all of us to represent for a reason, 
But if we know that whether that child goes on in the kingdom of heaven or that child may return to us before our life is over, looking at us, that same soul through a different set of eyes, then we can be sad of all the lost experiences. We can be hurt, but we can get through and become greater selves if we choose to. And I say choose because it's, it takes courage to do the journey. It takes courage to question everything you thought you knew, that to question all your belief systems, to really strip down and go through a dark night of the soul. But when we go through a dark night of the soul, we will, as Rain said, there'll be light. There'll be fireflies in that dark night. There are always fireflies. We can't see them unless we open our eyes. So if we go through the dark night of the soul with our eyes closed. But one of the other things is the sooner after trauma we can find anything to laugh about, the quicker we will heal. Mm -hmm the quicker we will move on to it. When we find that there are still things that can bring us something of joy, that in of itself brings light into the tunnel. Sometimes if something ha I mean, if something strikes me um, as traumatizing, I mean, one of the first things I'm gonna do is either read a comforting book or watch something on TV that makes me laugh or go to a movie that I know I'm gonna get things hysterical and funny. And maybe I would normally be a 10 on the funny, like hurt my, my funny bone from laughing so hard. And maybe I only laughed up to a two, but that two tells me I'm still alive. And then the next part of moving forward through trauma in of itself is reminding yourself of what there is still left to love. Mm -hmm. I don't care whether it's your cat, your dog, your goldfish, your, you know, your best friend, whoever you still love that's still here in that trauma, reminding yourself that you love them and they love you. Even if you have lost a loved one, it's one. But what about all the other people that you share love with? So the journey through trauma can start with remembering and finding that which can make you laugh, remind you of what you love. And then you can start to actually stop feeling dead inside. Mm -hmm. And you can start to become alive which is why we're talking about this on Laughing, Loving, and Alive, because this is the journey one takes to help recover from trauma. Thoughts, guys? Elma, you look like you're thinking. Uh, I, there's you know, nothing, not much to add to that. I mean, Kevin's always, um, he's been dealing with this forever, so it's... Um, <laughs> Don't I look good for my age? Forever. <laughs> so he, you know, he has a good grasp on it. He articulates it really well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about different traumas that everyone's been through. And like you said, you know, everyone has a different trauma and things hit people differently. And um, sometimes, you know, even now things delayed. Um, when when Matthew passed away last December, I was so busy getting ready for tax season and stuff, and I didn't I didn't really feel anything. But I was like, you know, uh, I know it impacted me, mm -hmm. and you know, and I told Kevin this, you know, I had to drive to Concord, New Hampshire for the funeral in the wake, and it was like two hour two hour drive at least. And on the drive, you know, I had nothing to distract me, no work, <laughs> no no video mm -hmm. games, and I could you know I felt like it was Matthew was there, like okay, now I got you, now you can't go anywhere, and then. You know, and then I started to have the feelings and started to cry and stuff like that. So sometimes, even without realizing it, I think we avoid. We can still avoid things, even though we should. We know we should deal with them. I'm more of a third party trauma person. Um, and Dr. Kevin, I don't know if you know this, but before my life of like real entertainment, I was actually a therapist for battered and abused women, and children. I don't think hospice. I knew that either. Yeah, in hospice. That's what my degree was in. I was just like, this is not what I want to do. I have enough 
crap, you know, my own baggage that I needed to deal with. But, you know, paid for school. That's fine. You know, it's another life. Um, but um, I'm a third party person. That's the way I deal with some trauma. I act like somebody else is going through it. I, I act like it's a story I read or it's a movie that I saw or a commercial. Because I think back in, I'm like, yeah, that couldn't have possibly happened to me because I would definitely have had a stroke and died. That would have given me a heart attack and I would have died. I mean, dead as a doornail. And that's been a coping mechanism for me for a very long time because it allows me to look at it outside of myself and break it down in bite-sized pieces so that it's not so painful. So you do a form of really disassociation. Completely. To be able to, to yeah, you disassociate. And... <laughs> You know, everybody has their own set of coping. And as long as the coping is moving you forward and not right. leaving you stuck, right. then it, that's a good thing. You know, when you get to the point where you've taken enough bite-sized pieces that you go, okay, now I can swallow it. Mm -hmm. And I can let it now add to the sum total of who I am and what I have to give to the world. Right. I, you know, in, in mentoring for years... Um, and I'm actually playing. Um, I've 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 been asked, and I'm thinking about doing it, which is to do a mentorship program for people with spiritual gifts to take their gifts to something that they can actually then make a living from. So mm -hmm. from recognizing, developing, and 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 doing your your psychic intuitive gifts to how do I then get paid for what it is I want to do in my life? Um, you know, but as I talk to people. And I go all the time. Oftentimes people that are doing the greatest light work and the greatest healing in the world are the people that had really badass traumas in their childhood that had horrible things that had to had to crawl on their hands and knees to get to the end of that cave and didn't think they were going to survive. But once they realized they did, all they want to do is pick up a torch and go back in to see who else they can lead out. Mm-hmm. And when somebody offers you the hand and you recognize it as a hand of experience, then you trust it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been there. Come, come, come with me. I know the way out of this cave. I, I've been in this cave. In fact, you know, those hieroglyphics that were written on the cave wall in chalk, some of those were mine. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and... Now I, you know, uh, and I know this goes through against a lot of more traditional therapeutic principles, but I never hesitate to tell my clients about the traumas that I've had to show them there is another side. Mm -hmm. There is some place where you can get and you can go to. And you can then, and I always say, the more that I have helped people get to some place in their life that is positive and affirming because of the traumas I went through, the more those traumas ha give my, get, it gives my life meaning and it gives those, tr those traumas, it takes all the trauma out of it mm -hmm. and gives it a purpose in my life. Not that I wanted to go back and would ever want to go back and relive any of those, but now I got to do good with them. It gave me meaning. And I think that that's so important. And so whatever our trauma is, and it would be very interesting to see some of these people who survived the loss of loved ones and stuff like this from 9-11, how many of their lives changed over time? Did they get more active or do stuff or speak out or start living more or start doing stuff that shook them awake? of how transient life can be. So, I mean, I think that that's another way to also, you know, it's kind of death is an invitation to live more. And again, yes. there are all sorts of trauma. Yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, if you are fortunate enough to find someone or something, you know, you have a why that allows you to keep going. Because a lot of times people don't see all the whys, you know, because 
I've been in some really crazy situations and I'm like, why should I go on from here? I mean, what is the point? And, you know, you start picking, well, this person would miss me and this person would be sad and then I wouldn't be able to do this, that and the other. And then you can start, you know, backing out of the situation. But I've met so many people who don't seem to have a why. And how do you get a why, Dr. Kevin or Elma? Well, sometimes you can have a why and it still not be enough. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kevin and I have dealt a lot with suicides over the years. And, you know, these people can admit and say, yeah, I have these whys, but they're just not enough. You know, it's sometimes your inner demons mm-hmm. are, the bigger, are the, you know, over, overshadow any whys that you might have. Well, just like in the alphabet, if you want to get to the Y, you have to get through the X. Mm-hmm. And the X are... What are the thoughts, belief systems, unresolved things within me, things that I have not been able to find peace with that I need to work on? What is the mysterious? You know, and, and we said this on this, I said this on the suicide show when we did the suicide show that, you know, oftentimes when people talk about suicide, what they're actually saying is, I need this life I'm living to die because it's killing me. And I don't necessarily want to die myself, but the only what? language I can have. And so that's going searching for the X. If you want to get to the Y, you have to search for the X. What are the mysterious factors? What's the X factor that makes you think you can't be happy? You can't be who you're going to be. And this is why it's so important, you know, and I know that we've crossed over in this conversation before, but, you know, is it's why it's so important that we have positive LGBTQIA role models out there, that we have these kids whose who they can't find the why because everything they're told is you're going to have a horrible life and you're never going to be loved and you're always going to get beaten up and you're always going to be treated horribly and, you know, and you're going to spend eternity in hell and they're fed all of this garbage and they can't find the why. It's just piled under too much other people's shit Mm -hmm. and, and, and judgment and bigotry and self-hatred and their own unhappiness. You know, and so, you know, so you have to go back and you have to start looking at the X's and you have to be willing. I, I am a big believer. You know, first of all, I don't do miracle cures of any kind. I don't believe that there's any energy work out there that you sit with some crystal skull for 45 minutes and all of your problems go away and you have a happy, perfect life for the rest of your life for only $5,000. No, I don't believe it. <laughs> I think it's a load of crap. And I think it's a load of crap, all of these people that do healing work to say, you don't have to really do any work. I just do it all for you. You just have to write the check. Load of crap. Okay. Everybody has to participate in the journey of self-knowing, self-actualizing, figuring out who they are, and then why they feel how they feel, what led them to that, what is incorrect, what lies were they told? What were, you know, what are those things? And then make a choice. We can choose. I don't want to pray at the altar of a hateful God. I have chosen a loving God. Great. I have chosen to have something that is empowering. I have chosen to do this. And yes, it means I have to fight the voices that told me other things, but I just have to recognize them as the lies they were. Maybe they were your truth, but they're not my truth. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is only trauma that will set us on the path of true enlightenment and actualization and empowerment. Sometimes until something happens that is so deeply distressing or such a disturbing experience, that we found the self that we never knew existed because it was just layered under so much crap that we were told in our childhood or how we interpreted what the environment told us about who we were or what life was. Mm-hmm. But we can all take that journey. We are all capable of taking that journey. So I know you said you had some people coming in. Any any questions or anything, or have we been covering it all? Because I you've I'm been happy. covering it all because they say thank you. Um, 
that yeah i think you covered everything because i was just kind of checking it off of our q a list i think people are more um trying to figure out what they need to do based on some of the questions you know i i, I think they are trying to stay anonymous in their questions and mm -hmm. objective um it doesn't sound like anybody's suffering but it sounds like they they're learning how to cope through this discussion tonight struggle is the invitation to growth learning how to cope is a kind of struggle to me learning how to cope is when we're struggling and you know one of the things that i realized because you know i was doing some prep work for this show obviously as i made a unilateral decision to have us all represent somebody from 9 11. they'll yell at me later no uh, <laughs> we're gonna yell at you now why wait till later <laughs> we're not keeping uh -oh. it inside anymore <laughs> oh good that's what we like get it out baby uh, um but in doing this i saw the series of damages and one of the things is there are two roads we can take after trauma and you have to find the people that you trust to guide you which may not be the people that you trust to you know babysit your kids or to keep an eye on your house if you're out of town or to whatever you have to find the people, you know what I always say to people, because, you know, I still do a lot of, I still do my fair share of psychic work and people will get psychic readings. And, you know, oftentimes in my psychic readings, I will get what is a trauma in their life, what's something that's holding them back. It's like my, it's like people get drawn to me because they're ready to do the work. And then the work they need to do will come up in a psychic reading. So they're coming to go, oh, so, you know, when is the man of my dreams coming? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Maybe this is what spirit wants you to know. That's what I always say to people. This is what spirit wants you to know. If we have time for your questions, we'll get to them. I don't really care what your questions are. Mm -hmm. I want you to know what spirit wants you to know. And oftentimes it's about the trauma that's holding you back, the belief system that's holding you back, the, the person in your life that's holding you back. And so as we take this though, and we make that decision i'm always saying to people you know this is the work that needs to be done and it's work i do but i'm not the only person in the world that does it and you have to find the person that resonates to you that you go i feel safe with this person or i feel this person knows what to do i feel like this person doesn't have a private agenda which is going to be damaging to me you know i and and we all have to look in those because trauma can send you in two directions it, three directions. It can send you backward. It can freeze you in place or it can move you forward. Yeah. But I think the trauma of 9-11 moved this country backwards in some ways. We, we for the a, a promised illusion of safety, gave up some of our rights. We started a pathway of really hunkering into, in some ways, which was a much less open-minded, generous view of the world and our, and our interaction with it. And I think that we got played. I think we got played a lot. And, but I look at that and, you know, since the war of 1812, I basically maybe the Alamo, I thought- You remember part, those? I remember them from my history books because I actually read my books when I was in class, Elmer. You'd remember <laughs> them if you'd read them in your class. I thought he, was uh, he wrote his history book. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I wouldn't write a history book. I'd write a her story book. Yeah. Okay. I'd like the other side to be represented. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we had not ever had this kind of attack on American soil in anybody who is alive's memory, you know? 
and suddenly our, well, the dangerous world is over there across the oceans or on the other side of Mexico or Canada, and we're safe from it. That was destructive to the American psyche. That was traumatizing to the American psyche. We no longer felt quite so invincible. And several, and there were several people whose own trauma forced them to, to send us into a spiral, which I think is, is still playing out today of, uh, you know, kind of toxic male mansplaining um, type of decisions that affect all of us. And I think there were a lot of people that, you know, had decided that, you know, it wasn't a few nutcases who got in power because there's always a few nutcases who get in power. But we started like broad brushing whole groups of people and whole belief systems and whole religions like they're all bad. Mm -hmm. And then we took that brush struck home and started doing it to fellow Americans. And now look where we are. Mm -hmm. So this was a response to the trauma of 9-11 to send us backwards. I mean, if one more person talks to me about the, you know, the good old days of the fifties, I'm going to projectile vomit on them. <laughs> well, you know, people say it to me too. They're like, Oh, you know, just remember like the, when people all got along, they liked each other. I'm like, what, when was that? Cause that's, that's a world never. you live in somewhere that really didn't exist. Cause that, has never existed. I can remember. Well, it, it does. Up. It does when you're like live in a all little town, all white Christians, all homophobic, and all go to the same church. Then the world looks the same. Then right. the world, everyone gets along. Right, and that's the. Same. Oh, they're still backbiting. And they're still, <laughs> you know, they're awesome. really backbiting, but they do it in their own little community. And it doesn't matter what community you come from. That seems to be a thing. Like we all got along. I'm like. Okay, you were all in this, you know, little church. Everybody went to the same church. Everybody did the same things and everybody saw the same people. And nobody different came along. It was only when somebody different came through town that that started, that the things weren't great. I mean, I don't know where people get that from. It's the same way when people say, oh, it, I remember when things were safe. I'm like, where? That's never been a thing. There's always been somebody out there acting like a nut. This country, for 350 years, has never been truly safe for people of color and women. Period. Period. No exceptions, no right. ifs, ands, or buts. Right. Period. Period. Women and people of color have always been victimized and and thrown away and used and treated poorly. And it was all, if you'll forgive the term, whitewashed. Mm -hmm. Whitewashed in our history books, whitewashed in our media, whitewashed everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then you show up with the truth and now you're a heretic because you want to tell kids right. the truth. Like, right. no, no. It was never it was never safe for a person of color to be in the wrong neighborhood, which meant the neighborhood where only the good folks should live. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, you better be coming to clean somebody's house if you're in this neighborhood. We're going to beat your butt. And you better be going home before it gets dark because you're not cleaning anybody's house at night unless you're yep. cleaning it out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so. This country has never been safe for those right. two groups. And it's really never been safe for the LGBTQIA groups oh, either. I get it. That's not yeah. even on the, the list because we know that was not a thing. Yeah. So we have to stop having the delusional response to trauma um, that is trauma that this country committed on its own people because the people in power wanted to stay in power. And there you have it. 
Absolutely. So I do want to share a a, a, a little thing because I know we're going to be announcing our next show in a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm, is I did find this neat little side note that two days after 9-11, Queen Elizabeth, who I think is a was, was was a great lady in a lot of ways. She's still human and had her foibles, but I, I'm, I'm a queen fan. <laughs> That's, Me too. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, both RuPaul and Elizabeth. No, um, so... <laughs> uh, but uh, two days after 9-11, for the first time, I think, since 1660, she had, at the changing of the guard she had the star spangled banner played instead of the the whatever they played over the uh, you know the english the thing that they played to bring comfort to the americans who were stuck in london at uh, after 911 and that to me says a lot about who she was as a person right that simple act of wanting to bring comfort you know to us you know let's face it damn rebellious colonist uh, <laughs> Yeah, that too. Well, oh boy. Fan mail will be coming in. Hey, you know, as long as they spell the name right, I don't care what they say. It's all publicity. It'll be fine. (laughs) And whatever they say, somebody said something worse, honey. You weren't the you weren't the first one, you weren't the most cleverest one, and you and you know, so try again. Yep. Um, who is our guest in two weeks? Uh, our 925. Guest. Yeah, 925. Uh-huh. Who Which is I it? Actually will be, I will be in New Hampshire. I will be with Kevin in person. Oh, okay. Well, I will be, I don't know where I'll be. I'll be somewhere. But <laughs> I'll be on LLA with Deb Hart. She's an amazing lady. Of Pink um, Sisters. Yeah, she's talk about trauma and she may or may not bring this up during our show, but her dealing with trauma has led her to a life of helping so many others through her experience and opening her arms and creating these retreats for a lot of different reasons. I'll let her explain it. It was, she's an amazing lady and she gives a lot and anybody know when you're doing, you know, nonprofit stuff, uh, there may not be a huge return on it, but that hasn't stopped her because she's pushed through. This is where she's pushed through that her pain and her trauma allowed her to go on and help a lot of people. So I am going to, because I know we're not quite off air yet. So Jeff and I stumbled uh, stumbled across they, they you know we like the queer eye series and you know they're getting ready to release another one New Orleans and then we stumbled across there's a queer eye Germany which came with subtitles and there was the five German versions of the queer eye guys going around and doing good stuff and then we just discovered queer eye Brazil and the 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 Second show in the Queer Eye Brazil was to go help this guy who's who was a single father raising his kids after him and his kids who were very, very young at the time, still very young, um, because the mother died of breast cancer. And it is the most poignant, tear-jerking, but lovely empowering show of the journey that they took and i thought rain if you get a chance you should just you should watch this one just is knowing it that on you netflix or yep it's on netflix okay queer eye brazil version okay and it's the second one and it's subtitles but um yeah there was just some really neat things and i kept on going rain needs to watch this Probably nothing that's going to surprise you, and I'm sure a whole lot has been is other stuff, but it was still something that just kept making me think of you. Okay. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that. I'm glad Elmer. to share that. Yeah. Time to take us out? Yes. I Almost. Can play us. 
out whole 30 seconds early. <laughs> well, 30, I have 30 seconds. I just want to say on behalf of some questions that came in, a lot of people said, thank you. They really appreciated um, us being very candid and transparent. Um, and, and they thought this was something that was needed, especially with the holidays coming up. And, you know, we kind of did this last year for the holidays. You know, we talked about people being alone and, you know, it's upon us right now. After this month, it'll be the holidays. So, yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. I'm going to play us out. Unless, Kevin, you got something to say? Nope. All right. I talked myself silly. Thanks for <laughs> watching or listening to the Laughing Loving Into Live show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or support us with Buy Me A Coffee. To catch all of the latest from Laughing, Loving, and Alive, you can follow us on Instagram at Laughing, Loving, and Alive, and on Facebook at Laughing, Loving, and Alive. Thanks again, and see you next time.